And I stumbled kind of across this little proverb, this little wisdom nugget. I thought it was so good, I wanted to just share with you. The Bible says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. <laughs> I just love that. We may throw the dice, but it's God who determines how they fall. March 11th, 2020 was a momentous day. And I will never forget. A lot of things were happening that I was not aware of. The World Health Organization declared this new coronavirus strain, COVID-19, a pandemic on March 11th, 2020. We'd all heard about coronavirus, but it was officially declared a pandemic on that date. Dr. Anthony Fauci testified before Congress on that date. It was a Wednesday, March 11th, 2020. But it all got real for us here in Oklahoma City when it was just about time to tip off the thunder and the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert, their center, was tested positive for COVID and the game was suddenly canceled. <gasps> Are you kidding me? Close the schools. Close the bank. Don't stop the NBA. And on March 11th, 2020, no one had any idea what was about to transpire in the following months. Every person in this place was touched on some level by death. Someone you know and loved. Hospital and healthcare workers, which we have several, were just overwhelmed. Our world was gripped with fear like nothing I've ever seen in my lifetime. We had, we had unprecedented shortages. Remember the toilet paper thing? That was great, wasn't it? Schools closed. Remote learning was a new thing. Where kids still had to learn, but no socialization caused all kinds of problems. All, many, many supply chain issues and job disruption, which, which literally changed the business landscape. How many of you worked from home during the pandemic? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Besides the small businesses that closed and all the layoffs. And then, and then just the social isolation. I hate social distancing. I'm a hugger. And I hate social distancing. But the effects of that now are, are lingering on. And even now today, two and a half years later, we're beginning to see some measurable effects from lingering health fears and... Workplace uncertainty. I was talking to some of my buddies about a lot of the fast food restaurants. You'll never be able to go in and have lunch inside a fast food restaurant a lot of places. Just drive through only. Trust in government has eroded. The social anxiety. We weren't allowed to visit sick parents in the hospitals and nursing homes. Marriages and funerals were postponed. And the division... In our culture, vax versus no vax, mask versus no max. The, the economic upheaval, which we're seeing now and still, the full effect has not been seen. The immeasurable effect on people's mental health is a tragedy. But there's good news. Can I share some good news? Here it is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, God makes everything work out according to His plan. God makes everything, say everything, work out according to His plan. Romans 8, we know that God causes all things to work together to good to the husband of God. And we may throw the dice, but the Lord 
determines how they fall. Folks, God is in charge. God never was ever surprised, not for one second. God never said, oops, He's the sovereign God over the universe. And of course, all this got me to thinking. If God is in charge, what in the world is He doing? What could He be up to? What possible benefit could we realize from the last two and a half years of pandemic? Well, I came up with three things. I'd like to suggest, first of all, in this big mess, He is mobilizing me. I have become reliant on routine. I don't think I was always that way. I think a lot of it is just a product of old age. But I feel way more productive if I can stick to my schedule. But the pandemic kind of blew everything up. For example, live stream. Hi, everybody who's joining us virtually today. I apologize for the live stream. And some of you who love me were so faithful to send me memes about live streaming and how miserable we did. And we're aware. We know. It's hard. And this is a great one, too. I'm embarrassed, but this is the, what we, the hand we were dealt. This is what we happened. Wednesday nights during the pandemic, we tried everything to engage. We had, we had a, a panel out here for a while and videoed and live streamed. Katie Harville helped me. We had the girls one week, I remember. And then we tried kind of a, a Letterman thing with some guys early in the mornings. We were shooting for Letterman. We actually, it was more like the gong show, I'm afraid. And then we did the, just a little table with me with the TV and kind of doing the whole, it was bad. It was just bad. And then I tried to do updates every week. So I was on Facebook Live and, and I'm so sorry they're eternal. They're infinite on the on the on the internet, and I go back and look, and I'm just so embarrassed. And the thing is, in a situation like that, it's really, really easy to get weary. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually. So I'm asking, God, what are you doing? You said, we throw the dice. You determine how they fall. What are you up to? And then I remembered Philippians 1 that says, I am certain... That God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So my perspective has totally changed when I realize that no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, God is currently, right now, working in my life. And He will continue that work until when? It's finished until completion. Do you see that? Another thing I've come to understand, though, that God's good work may include some disruption in my routine. It, it might require blowing up my routine. And that's bad because I like my routine. I'm comfortable in my routine. And sometimes God brings things, I'm thinking of, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12 where no matter what you think is good, God's going to mess that up for your benefit and for His glory. And I, a lot of times I think when God blows up my schedule, it's counterproductive. But God, I'm so much more efficient. God says, you throw the dice. I determine how they fall. So I, I've come to understand that before 
I was born, God was working His plan. And long after I'm gone, God's plan is going to still be going forward. And I'm privileged beyond measure for a moment in history to partner with God in His plan. But what I've understood is this, and it's the same for you. While God is working on me, He is also working through me. And God, in fact, cannot work through me until He works on me and in me. So the question is, can I trust Him to blow up my schedule? Can I trust Him to adjust me and change me and mold me even when I think things are going pretty good? Because anybody here that's been through that disruption over the past couple of years, you have the same question. Lord, why? This is so uncomfortable. Why? Well, the Bible says, He who began a good work within you will continue it till it's finished on the day when we see Jesus. So I understand that God is mobilizing me. Also, I understand that God is connecting me. One of the beautiful things that has come out of the pandemic is a, is a new appreciation for community. A brand new appreciation for friendship. And, and it bears out historically. You always find out who your true friends are in times of crisis. And let me just say again, I know you get sick of hearing it, but Jason and I love you guys so much. You've been our family through this whole thing, and I'm just so grateful. But issues arose during the pandemic. And I'm just being real with you here. While there's a lot of people that I was separated from that broke my heart, there was a lot of people who irritate me that was kind of good. You Come on, don't look at me like that. It seemed like during the pandemic that people got more demanding. Did you notice? Less patient. You've been to the restaurants just like I have and seen all the signs. Please forgive us if our service is slower than usual. Nobody wants to come to work. Maybe you went to the, the store to get toilet paper after the announcement and you found the lines that were just ridiculous. And, and so consequently, after all this turmoil, we've become much quicker to confront one another. Our fuses have gotten shorter. And another long-term issue is that factions or divisions have grown around cultural issues. And I get it because some of those issues are massive. Issues like health care and climate change and education and immigration and abortion. But there's also a lot of tiny, small issues that divide us. Like technology. I'll be fine. I want to choke the guy who invented Zoom. <laughs> Did you have to do Zoom meetings? We, 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 we talked about introverts and extroverts. Pizza Hut or Domino's. David Payne or Mike Morgan. People fight over this stuff. Walmart or Target. Republican or Democrat. Can I just prophetically let you know that they're the same? <laughs> Nobody's going to make a difference. But the thing is, all of us have our perspectives. All of us have our opinions. And there's nothing whatsoever wrong with that. But when did we ever allow personal preferences to divide us like they have? I don't think it was like that before the pandemic. And now we're so touchy. 
I know that division was a problem in the early church. We did that study in Romans here last year. And, and you think about it, really divisions in church are unavoidable because there's all these different people from all these different religious backgrounds and all these socioeconomic classes and races who are kind of just thrown together and expected to worship together. And especially we read in Romans where it was the, the Jews and the Greeks or the religious and the irreligious. And one term that Paul used a lot in the New Testament that I think we should heed is the Greek word anekomai, which means to carry or uphold or support. And the English word is bear with. Bear with. Ephesians 15. I'm sorry, Romans 15 says it this way. We who are strong ought to anekomai, bear with the feelings of the weak. Not cut them to pieces. Bear with them. Galatians 6.2 And nekomai each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. And this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4 says be completely humble. I, I, I understand humble and gentle. What is completely humble and gentle? Completely humble and gentle. Bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3 Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance... Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now here's what I feel like the Lord is trying to teach me out of the pandemic. One person thinks it's very, very important to wear a mask. Another person does not. Or let me, let me just make it personal. Someone in your life decides one way or the other and you feel differently. In fact, you feel strongly differently. How should we respond? As Christ followers, how do we respond to that? Should we allow preferences to divide us? Have you taken a minute to ask yourself, I wonder why they feel so strongly like they do? Or maybe have you asked them why they feel like they do? Because here's a hard truth. I've got a pride problem. I'm pretty stuck on me and my ideas and my opinions. So when someone disagrees with me, I immediately jump to worst case scenario. They're attacking my integrity. They think I'm an idiot. They're trying to undermine my authority. Well, the Bible also has a word for that. It's sin. That's what that is. Let me illustrate this for you. Has anybody ever... I had the word enjoyed in my notes and I crossed it out. Taking a toddler to the zoo. Have you enjoyed that experience? <laughs> when you first get to the zoo, it's a beautiful day and they're excited and the adrenaline's flowing and it's a new adventure and they're running and excited and jumping up and down and after 15 minutes, they're grumpy. And now they want to be carried. And they want something to eat. No, not that. Something else. What? I don't know, just not that. And then you have to carry them around the zoo and the experience is not the adventure it once was. So when you're carrying your unhappy toddler around the zoo, and all of a sudden it's gotten hotter, I don't know how that works, did you ever for a moment think about, I wish this, this creature was out of my life. I wish she was just gone out of my life. No, you know what we do? We make excuses for her. Well, she's only two, and she's tired, and she's sunburned, and she's hungry. Why don't we do that with each other? Why do we jump to worst-case scenario and attack each other because of preferences? 
The Bible says when we sense division, trying to invade our relationships, we bear with. Bear with one another. Man, that's good preaching. Unless, let me just say, unless you were at the stoplight in front of me and it turns green and you're on your phone, you're going to jail. (laughs) The third thing I'm learning from the pandemic, he's maturing me. And honestly, I hate this part. But I've come to understand that spiritual growth happens only through hard times. Now, I, I thank God for the good times. But there's no growth that happens there. The growth doesn't happen on the mountaintop. Rejoicing does. Refueling does. Growth only happens in the valleys. Now, another illustration. I've been talking to some of my pastor buddies lately about evangelism. How we define that. What does that mean? One of my friends said, it seems to me like nobody's getting our church, getting saved in our churches anymore. And I said, well, good, they're not supposed to be. <laughs> and he said, what? I'm just stirring the pot a little bit. But here's the thing, guys. If you look at the New Testament church, our altar calls, our sinners' prayers, they're not in the Bible. You know what the function of the New Testament church is? To grow up disciples who go out and evangelize their neighborhood and their workspaces and their families. And then you come back here and you get discipled and grown up and encouraged. And you go out. Now, thank God that people get saved in the church. And I'm not saying that should not happen. I'm just telling you that, that the, I think the reason we're not seeing a whole lot of people getting saved is because we've, we've gotten ruined in a lot of ways. Like, for example, if, if it's the job of the church to grow disciples to go out and evangelize the world, why aren't we seeing much of that in Oklahoma? Well, first of all, frankly, because people aren't getting discipled into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's my fault. It's my job, and if it's not happening, it's my fault. But secondly, we're largely isolated from neighbors. I'm talking, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day about... Can you imagine living the life we live now without air conditioning? You know, there was actually a day when there was no air conditioning. I can't, it was before my time. I can't imagine. But in the olden days, that's why everybody built the big wraparound porches where you could sit out there in the breeze in the evening because inside it was steamy hot. You didn't want to go in there. Well, everybody had a front porch. We knew our neighbors. And, but you know, nobody sits out front anymore. If you do anything, it's in your backyard, right? That's where the grill is. That's where the swing set is. So we don't know our neighbors anymore. Also, the little bit of Jesus we do have in us, we don't share. Why not? Well, it's hard. But think about this with me. Guys, when you're together, what do you talk about? Football. That's what you talk about. Girls, when you're together, what do you talk about? I have no idea. I'm not going there. Don't want to know. But here's what the Bible says in Luke 6. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jeremy Thompson was coming in this morning talking about deer hunting. They went deer hunting last weekend. And Travis is learning how to hunt. I think that's a great father and son thing. But, but if that's what you want to talk about, that tells me what, that's what your heart is full of. So if we're not talking about Jesus to other people, 
Now, I don't by any means believe that Jesus is saying, stop talking about sports. Jesus is not saying, you better straighten up your act and get your heart right. You better get to work and start witnessing. Here's what Jesus is saying to me after this pandemic experience. In John 15, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. In other words... I could motivate you guys to go witness. I could somehow find a way to motivate you. We could take classes and you decide when you grit your teeth, I'm going to go tell everybody I know about Jesus. The Bible says on your own effort, it's a waste of time because you can do nothing by your own effort. That's what Jesus said. So first, first, my heart has to get filled up with Jesus before anything else happens. You know, this... This discipline of praying the Lord's Prayer. And I trust some of you are still with me praying the Lord's Prayer every day. It has revolutionized my prayer life. And it's not that I didn't know the Lord's Prayer or never said it, but as I've, as I've thought about that and, and just engrossed myself in the thought of the prayer that Jesus left His followers, I begin to think about it. Lord, Your name is holy. Hallowed be Your name. Wow, Your name is so holy. Father, Your kingdom come. Let all my little kingdoms be swept aside. And Your kingdom come in my life and in my circle of influence. Lord, let Your will... I can imagine what Your will in heaven must be like. Oh, that that would happen here on earth, Jesus. And, and if You would just today, only today, just this one day, give me what I need. And let me trust You. Let me be reliant on what You have for me. Not what I can get for me, but what You bring to me. My life is revolutionized. So here's the point. I believe that Jesus is pleased with the type of prayer that surrenders to Him. The type of prayer that acknowledges that, that we throw the dice, but He determines how they fall. And I believe that He means, when He says, remain in Me, Jesus is saying, just stay right there for a minute. Just, just, just be still for a minute. I've got something for you. You're my child. And, and I, I don't need anything from you. I've got something for you. Just be still. Just remain. And what I found is, as I remain in Jesus, guess what comes out of my mouth? It's not evangelism. It's, it's the abundance of your heart bubbling out of your mouth. And can I tell you, we're talking about remaining in Jesus. Nothing more important. Nothing. All right, let me close. Here's the bad news. Always comes down to this. God uses tough times to grow us up and make us better. We, we, we know that's true. We don't like it, but it's true. And in the Word, there's some pretty graphic language about that. We, we looked in John chapter 15 where, where the Bible says that God is the vine dresser. He's going to prune you. John 16 talks about reprove. Isaiah 1 is purge. Ephesians 5 is exposed. 2 Timothy 4 is rebuke. This is God proactively shaping us with compassion. His loved creation, His cherished compassion, He's molding us and shaping us. And we know that, but it doesn't make it easy easier. So I'm not sending you out here today to be a better Christian. That's not what I'm doing. But what I've come to to really understand after this pandemic is that's why the church, that's why this 
this ridiculous, beautiful idea of a family gathering together on Sunday to share together. And next week we're going to talk about this a little bit further over breakfast. But there are some things that have just shocked me. Like, do you realize that there are people that sat in your row where you sit that we have not seen since March 2020? And that, that crushes me because these are members of my family. And most of them I've spoken with. And they've got a, a valid reason why they're not here anymore, but it doesn't make me feel better. The truth is, when we lose a member of our family, we're poorer. So let me just finish today with, a, with an interesting passage. This is Paul writing to his friends from Ephesian prison. He's in jail and he's, Paul is absolutely convinced he's about to be executed. Any minute they're coming to take him to the gallows. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. I would say, Paul, if you think your generation was warped and crooked, then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Jesus, let it be covenant life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, notice something. I'm almost done. Are you okay? Here is Paul in jail, and I don't know what that was like. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. Literally convinced he's about to be executed for preaching the gospel. And what is his emotion? What comes out of his heart? Rejoicing. Do you see that? So when we're going through hard times, that's a, that's a good, good pattern. But this is what I noticed. In, in verses 17 and 18 there, Paul uses a rare word for rejoice. It's the Greek word soon Cairo. And it's only used in the Bible seven times. A couple of times like in, in Luke 15, where the Bible says the shepherd left the 99 and come to find the one. And when he brought the one back, he called all his friends and neighbors and said, Rejoice with me, soon Cairo. That's the Greek word. When the woman found that lost coin, she dusted all over her house and finally found the coin, called her friends and neighbors, Rejoice with me! 1 Corinthians 12, in, in the... In the, Paul's talking about the body of Christ and how we all have a part and we all work together. He says, so you've got to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with. Come together and rejoice with. And now Paul uses it again here in Philippians. And this is why this is so important to me. The normal Greek word is pyro. Rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Yay! Rejoice. But you can do that on your own. This is different. In Philippians 2, Paul says, I left it all on the field. I worked hard. I did my very best for the sake of the gospel. And now, it looks like I'm about to lose my life. Paul says, I'm being, current tense, being poured out like a drink offering. So Paul, how do you feel about that? He says, I rejoice with. What? You're in prison. Here's the point. This is what I think that Jesus is saying to us. I remember vividly lying to you. 
a month into the pandemic, I said, this is all going to be over soon. (laughs) And then six months in, we're almost there. And then a year, I hope this is going to be over soon. And we're still struggling. In fact, I saw this week in the news a brand new strain. Thank you, Jesus. Our lives have been profoundly affected, all of us. But now, going forward, whatever comes next, the next step, we have a choice. We can allow ourselves to be intimidated and cowered in fear, and Satan wins. Or we can rejoice, and the kingdom wins. But the key is, you and me. We need each other. We rejoice with. Because God has a plan. It's verse 15. We can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation shining among them like stars in the sky. I cannot do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I need you. I'm sorry to say, you need me. You need the people sitting with you. If we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And I think Jesus wants us to make it. Stand together with me. I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. And I, I know I've been so careful. But another thing about the pandemic, I try not to say, take your neighbor's hand and all the cool stuff we used to do. We're going to close. It's still early. This is how I'm going to close. We're going to have a time of prayer. But I want you to do that in groups of four or five or six. And if you're a guest here at Covenant Life Assembly, this may be really kind of awkward for you. We do weird stuff all the time, so it doesn't bother us so much. But this is what I want to do. I I look around the room, and I know of issues. I know of issues. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I would never do that. But if you have a need, I promise you there are people in this room that want to carry that for you. They want to bear that with you. They want to rejoice with you in your struggle. So I want us to get in groups of four or five or six, whatever's convenient right there around you. And this you can be with friends. This is okay. But I want you to just take a moment and say, what can I pray with you about? What's your need? I want to pray with you. I want to bear with this burden with you. And take a moment and just close with the time of prayer together in groups of four or five. Would you do that? Go ahead and gather. Find somewhere right there close to you. And just share what it is you need. What are you, what are you in need of? What can I pray with you about? And Father, we just say amen to everything that was prayed today. We thank you for proactively working in our lives. And we absolutely are certain that having begun a good work in us, you will bring us to completion according to your plan until we see Jesus. Thank you for this word. I pray that you mold us into justice as you see that in Jesus' name. Amen.